Rodney, what's up, dude? Be kind. Hmm. So there's a there's a real thing that's called twin brain, and you weren't sure what you were gonna say coming into this. I literally turned around and said, maybe I'll say be kind, or maybe I'll say be compassionate. So the fact that you said be kind and I was gonna say be kind really pisses me off. But just be kind to yourself. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a real thing. Real thing. Welcome back to the More in Common Podcast. I am your co-host, Keith, with my man, Rodney. What's happening? (laughs) (laughs) And we are... Driving productive human connection by anchoring humanity in compassionate conversation and compassion. You know, I think one of the things that came out of this was the golden rule. Some will say the platinum rule. Putting people first. Just compassion. Treating others how you would like to be treated or treating others how they would like to be treated. I don't know. I don't know if I just have a bunch more to add to that. Keith, what do you yeah. what do you think about this conversation coming up with Ashwin here? Yeah. Ashwin, just Ashwin Chaco, he's an artist. And, you know, there's a moment in the conversation that I actually got a little alerted, right? And like, oh, what what are we going to do? And, you know, he talks about his conversation tip about actively listening and asking questions and really getting at the root of why people think or say what they say. And so it was really a great, the reason you listen to this is this is a great demonstration of conversation fueled by compassion and having a space of two seemingly different starting points. Um, but we, you know, gracefully and he gracefully navigated a wonderful conversation and I'm really excited to have had him on and bring this show to you. Completely agree. Uh, before we go on, want to point you to moreincommonent.com. You can check out all things more in common. We're also going to put a link to where you can find uh, some of Ashwin's latest work. He's got a couple books and he's got some really great stuff out there. So we're going to put a link so that you can check him out. And also, uh, when you hit that site, you're going to see our consulting and Keith and I are helping guide organizations to, to a place where they want to be to help unstick disengaged employees, to help everybody, help everybody become heard, seen and valued so that you can get on to being extremely productive, uh, based on genuine connection that's fueled by compassion. And with that, I want to say, let's get into the episode. Like it, love it, share it. I think more and more with globalization, it's starting to happen in many l- levels, you know? What India looked like 10 years ago is very different from what it looks like now. And that's thanks to the internet, it's thanks to technology, it's thanks to what we're watching and consuming on television and Netflix. This is slowly defining how we react, what is norm. If you even think about like the whole sexuality conversation, you know, gay versus straight. 10, 20 years ago, they were ostracized. And now it's sort of like, if you're not gay or bisexual, like that's a popular thing to be. And like people 
are choosing that versus, you know, like this was actually how I felt. Today, we are with Ashwin Chaco. Ashwin is a multidisciplined illustrator, designer, and hand letterer working and living in Dublin. He develops and designs conceptual illustrations for advertising campaigns, products, packaging, editorials, children's books, and one-off commissions from around the world. He has published three books, Little Optimist, Keep It All, and the children's book, What Wondrous Shapes We Are. His style is influenced by contemporary culture and is rooted in his love for music, comics, tattoos, and street art. He loves telling stories and is interested in uncovering the social interactions that drive culture. He seeks to capture these moments in bold lines and shapes. His compositions focus on strong use of characters intermingled with typography and patterns. He aims to help brands bring people together through the stories embedded in his illustrations. Ashwin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's uh, fantastic being here. Hey man, perseverance is going to be the topic of this day. Like for the audience, title. We've had some technical difficulties to get this conversation in, but by golly, we're going to make it happen. So here we are. In the machine, are trying to stop us, and they will not succeed. (laughs) They will not succeed. So let's uh, chatting with someone across the world. (laughs) That's hey, you know, Ireland, U.S. It's all the same over the phone. (laughs) Well, listen. First question. Let's get right into it. Navigating difficult conversations. Your tip is actually one of our more popular tips, and it's one of the, my favorite ones to ask about, and that is you know, actively listen. Take notes if you can. Don't anchor on the question or the thing that you want to say next. Pay attention and hang on to every word that they're saying so you hear it. The question, let's dig into that, is how do you get to that place? Because it is actually really difficult to actively listen for a lot of people. Yeah, it, it, it's, it just takes practice, you know? And a big thing is actually asking more questions. So when you ask more questions, it helps you clarify the what the person has been said. And so if you're constantly clarifying or you're asking the right types of questions, then you're able to dive deeper into that topic into that specific thing that the person is trying to convey to you when you have so this is another a piece that it's always interesting to talk about is the idea of asking questions without interrogating right that old hat of seeming very condescending because you're just trying to ask a question so you're not being an ass how do you get into that space so you're actually asking questions with with a sense of curiosity so a big part of that is tone of voice you know if you ask something like hey what do you think or what is that or you know like you're very abrupt and you're pushy or you could be like calm you drop the decimals down and you're like hey would you mind explaining this because i i'm really interested in learning more about blah, blah, you know, whatever it is, the topic that we're discussing. And once you start dropping the decimal, you lower the calm and you actively match the energy of the person and then bring it down, that helps activate uh, the conversation, you know, and, and they see the motivation behind it. So they're less likely to jump to a conclusion. The other thing is to ask permission. 
If you start the conversation by asking permission, hey, do you mind if I ask you this question? Do, do you mind if we dig deeper into this so I can better understand it? This is my motivation behind it. And, and just by starting with asking permission, you are then inviting that person to either walk away from the conversation and say no, or be open to having a deeper dialogue. When you say match, uh, match energy, how, how do you do that? Or is, so it, like, is it like a natural thing or do you have a, a, a way you do it? Well, it's, it's like monkey see monkey do, right? Like you, you're, lo- you're looking at that person. Like if you think about it, how do we communicate? 55% of our communication is through body language. And so more than what we say, it's about like how we say it. So how we move, we're, we're implying things to people through the, the motion in our body. Then it is the tone of our voice. And then the actual words that are coming out that need to be interpreted. And so when you start by, you know, like if the, the other person's like, hey, I'm so excited to see you. And you're like, hey, so excited to see you. And then you slowly start dropping the decimal down and say, so can we take a quick pause and 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 you then drop the conversation down to this level and say, have you thought about this or blah, blah, blah. So you start there and then you slowly cater down the decibels so that you're at a more calm pace. And and this is something that you definitely have to do with somebody who's like very hyper or active. And it really helps calm them down as well, you know? Or you could be like, hey, hey, you're going so fast, but I can't understand everything. So can we slow things down so that I can better understand what you're trying to communicate to me? Have you found that to be difficult to learn that skill to, especially if someone is heightened or you're in a tense conversation where you're trying to bring calm and you're still triggered? Like, I know you meditate. Do you use those skills and how how easy is it for you to bring bring yourself down in the moment? Yeah. Um it is it's tough. It takes time to learn. And it's it's all about practice and you know, the thing is when you have kids, that that's active practice for you because you know, how often do you just want to be like ah! like uh-huh. scream at them this and be, morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like but you have to like slowly start dropping um learn to control it, you know, and, and be like, okay, he doesn't, he actually does not understand the concept. So how do I better explain it in a way that is understandable to that person? And so you get that practice of doing that with repetition, with just like anything else. And I know that's not the answer for everybody, but like, I personally have kids. I've had kids. I mean, I have three kids, so... That actually helped me with uh, thinking about that with active listening or not active listening for matching energy with kids. Like sometimes, and not even just kids, it could be adults, but the idea of kind of matching the intent that they have, like maybe they want something that you don't want them to have, or they're really excited about something. And it's like, well, I could just say no, or I could be like, man, I can see you're really excited about this. Let's talk about when you can get it instead of just being like, no. Um, and I think that probably helps what you're saying be received because you're, you're, you're tuning in with them. Yeah, that's, that's a really 
good point. It's like agreeing with them and then diving deeper into why or how or what, you know? It's um, kids. Kids definitely are a great uh, experience of understanding your triggers. And they've certainly helped me come down quicker. But boy, they test you, don't they? Um, oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, taking a pivot now. So I appreciate you indulging the conversation part of this conversation as Rodney gets sick of me saying that. Um <laughs> But um, I was going to ask you something different, but I want to you said this in the lead up. What interests you right now is what what it what shapes culture? How does art shape culture and all of that? I've really been thinking about this a lot lately, probably because of the books I'm reading. What is culture to you? Culture is the social construct that defines our norm or what we consider normal. It, it's the these little interactions that we create rules under which we then live. So based on on the ideas we create, based on the ideas that we make popular, it then affects the social construct that we live within. So this is the thought that I've been thinking so much lately, because culture is, I mean, I guess, let me ask you this. Do you see us actually having a common shared culture in most nations? I think more and more with globalization, it's starting to happen in many levels. You know, what India looked like 10 years ago is very different from what it looks like now. And that's thanks to the internet. It's thanks to technology. It's thanks to what we're watching and consuming on television and Netflix, this is slowly defining how we react, what is norm. If you even think about like the whole sexuality conversation, you know, gay versus straight, 10, 20 years ago, they were ostracized. And now it's sort of like, if you're not gay or bisexual, like that's a popular thing to be. And like people are choosing that versus, you know, like, this was actually how I felt. Like, it's, it's become a popularity contest. So it's a, it's a really interesting dynamic how, you know, the media can shape how we think about an idea. And if there's enough information chucked at a person within a, a closed-off conduit or a bubble, then they start to believe that. Because here's the thing, like, this is the thing that it's just, it's, to your point about, influence of social media you're, you're talking about globalization so cultures or a culture becomes it's it's shifting and it and it's shifting so fast that it's almost that subculture is the norm now right and subculture is the main culture and we need to up level our expectations of what we want from one another right and how we expect each other to live and that's where we see such massive resistance because we don't have these solidified i mean generation after generation we're going to be getting more and more exposure and information that i mean generations that live 20 years apart experience the world so very differently and it's accelerating and at the end of the day i'm you know there 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 are culture wars but it's like who's fighting who 
right? Like it's not, it's not so solidified anymore. And trying to get my head around this amoebus concept of culture that doesn't seem to uniformly exist in any society other than maybe Japan or China. I think each place has an an insular culture, you know, even down to your own family, you'll have a certain culture based on how your dad grew up versus how your mom grew up. And then they come together and then they define the rules of the culture within their family. Maybe they didn't like some things that their dad, their folks did, and they like some things that their friends did. And so they incorporate those different acts or those different things into their own family. And so suddenly the culture within that specific family is different from the one they came from. And this is what we're doing on a mass scale across society. But so there are some prerequisites that run across all those families. Maybe there are certain truths that are agreed by everybody. And those certain truths that are agreed by everybody is what then turns into the larger culture that everybody knows. But what's happening now because of globalization, because of media, is there's a twisting of the truths. And because like truth is based on perception, right? And unless it's grounded in something that is unshakable, every time somebody new comes along and has an idea and twists it, and then they say, from my perception, this is the truth. So this is where there needs to be a grounding on something solid. And only then will we have a culture that is unified, that has sense across society. So like, if we think about the Western world, it's built on the ethos of the biblical foundation. Okay? It, it gets all its rules. The American government is based off of the Bible. All its laws, everything came out of that foundation. And so there was a solid truth on which it was built. Now, if you start pulling that apart and taking out the bricks of the foundation, you're going to have this scattering effect of like, okay, we don't know what we really believe anymore. What is right? What is wrong? It all changes. Yeah, the two things. So the very first question you asked about, the, how did you say it? Is there a unit? Is there universal culture? How did you ask the question, Keith? Yeah, I mean, what is culture was the first question I asked. Well, not that one, the next one. And then Basi- uh, basically, it, that, it was, yeah, it was, do we have shared yeah, culture? Yeah, it was like, yeah. Do we have shared culture? And I think that um, pieces of our culture are shared because culture is the mores, mores, the folkways, the taboos the rules, the laws, like all the things that are around us that go into any culture, or as you brought up subculture that we subscribe to or partially subscribe to. There's so many layers to it. I, it's hard to say that there were like, I don't know that there's ever going to be one definitive culture. There's so many different ways to think about it and look at it. And then I think what's happening right now war like generally what happens or what's happened at least in in the states is the predominant culture controls the messaging so ashwin to what you're saying about media and what's acceptable is is a controlled message with social media the difference is if my culture doesn't agree with that i can be loud about it and if other people agree with it then it will be heard by others 
And so then now there's this clashing of like, well, that's not a thing. And we're like, yeah, it is a thing actually. And so social media, media, you know, I, I think sometimes people conflate them like, oh, media is out of can. It's like, mm, maybe it's all, it's done what it's always done. But then social media is completely new and we're hearing just so many more ideas and thoughts than ever before. And some, and a lot of people don't like that. So you get the war concept. Well, there's a, there's a flip on that is because of the, the algorithms of the different social medias and how they're trained, basically they keep showing you things that you like. So like, say you watch a bunch of like bikepacking videos on YouTube, you're going to soon get recommendations of other bikepacking videos. Or like, if you watch like Jordan Peterson on YouTube, you'll keep getting everybody else who's linked with Jordan Peterson on YouTube. And suddenly you're inside an insular bubble, which only believes one thing. And so it's, it's the prerogative of the person viewing to be conscious of the fact that this is happening. But I'd say a majority of people are not conscious of the fact and they just like, oh, okay, this is the norm, you know? So whatever. I think that the difference, because I completely agree with that, the way the algorithms work and they keep us there. They keep us in uh, this, this loop of, of bias for information that we already agree with. The difference with this world of tech is that if my group disagrees with your group, like we can pick a piece of media from you that we're like, Oh, that's dumb. And like share that in our bubble and be like, yeah, it reinforces that they're wrong because we have access to that media that in the past, it's like we could share it through word of mouth, but it's not quite the same. 100%. It, it, it exaggerates the idea or inflates it. Inflates is probably a better idea. And there's, there's this reality of historical existence where we are forced to see, this is why I don't think we have common normal rules anymore. I mean, we have some, right? Basic decency. And this is why we have laws. I think, you know, compassion is a, is a great common rule that we could all anchor on. But like, just when you think about these echo chambers that occur because of our consumption of information, or you think about like the QAnon conspiracy, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, Ashwin, it's a big thing in the United States. Uh, that it's all about deep state and, you know, all Democrats are pedophiles and all this other stuff. And it goes pretty deep in that, you know, Anderson Cooper, I think, has a dungeon in his basement where he keeps children so they can all drink the blood of children over these, you know, ritualistic killings. It's, it's, it goes pretty, pretty hardcore. There are people who have left their families or their families have said, I can't talk to you anymore because this QAnon group is millions of people that they connect to. And one of the common things that most of these folks say is, I have friends and connections for life. And so what we're able to do now is not be challenged by to find a collective common core of belief. We get to just gravitate to people who feel about things the way we feel about things. And we get to do that across thousands upon thousands of miles and never have any accountability to having a common set of norms and rules. And I think this idea of culture is fascinating because it exists at the same time. It's 
so all over the place now and you really can't pinpoint it. And I think that's also a good thing because I think that's what helps drive equity and it drives resistance at the same time. And it's a matter of which one ultimately wins out historically is not on the side of equity. But anyway, I've been, I've been thinking uh, about this. Is, this is that concept. new though? Is that, is that new? Cause like Colts, Colts religions, and there's really just degrees of difference between them. Like they've always existed. Yeah, they've existed, but not at the scale and ease of access. So like for a cult, you got to go move to the commune or whatever and, and live there. Oh, you're saying it's just more easy to access. It's easy to access. So it impacts more people. So it thus erodes common culture and it creates friction. It creates tension. And I think there's positive tension in it. There's certainly negative friction in it as well. But I think there's an interesting philosophical conversation about what the desired culture is going forward and what it looks like for everybody. And I think it's a little different. And I think it's a fascinating conversation, which ultimately leads me to an interesting comment because you mentioned something that I'm massively curious to understand your perspective on around sexuality and a fad of it like can you can you expand like do you actually witness people that you know like going towards a a popularity of of bisexuality or or homosexuality i'm fascinated to to understand your lived experience on this all right we'll be back with part two shortly be sure to tune in if you like what you just heard be sure to like it share it and uh, tune back in for the next one soon. Have a great day.